I'm Matana DeWitt, joined by Dr. Drew Johnson. Welcome to Discover Your Roots, a podcast that will give you tools for understanding and applying the wisdom of the Bible in your own context. In this season, The Problem of Good and Evil, we're digging into the topic of good and evil, finding new and maybe unexpected ways to think about it and respond to it. Let's get started. In the episodes of season two, The Problem of Good and Evil, we discuss some heavy topics and instances of evil that can be disturbing, especially for those who've experienced related trauma. We advise caution among listeners. If you find that you need help or support as a result of listening to this podcast, please consult the resources listed in the show notes. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us again for episode seven of Discover Your Roots season two. Um, we are continuing the conversation about evil. We, we talked about some really heavy things last episode. Um, thank you for hanging in there with us and coming back again. Today is no less heavy, but it is going to be a little bit different. Um, we're going to be talking about suffering. Is suffering evil? And where do we see evil within suffering? Um, how does suffering and evil interact? So one of the things that I want to mention before we get started is just kind of to sort of set the stage. Um, in, tw- in 2005, there was Hurricane Katrina. Uh, many of us probably remember that. Devastated New Orleans um, and the surrounding areas. It was very, it was, it was just a, a tragedy. Um, 1,800 people died during the tragedy. And there was a famous pastor that actually argued that Hurricane Katrina targeted New Orleans specifically because of the sins that occurred there. Um, And of course, many found this offensive, and it does beg an important question, why do people suffer? Um, Is suffering evil? Is it a form of punishment? Or is it just suffering for suffering's sake? And then on top of all of that, where do we find God in this? Um, So before we unpack this, Drew, is there anything you'd like to share? Um, Yeah, I think it's important because I think we've all hit uh, points of emotional or physical suffering, physical suffering that causes emotional suffering. I think of people who have been chronic pain or had somebody die or something really horrible happen. I think we all have some sense that suffering is a problem. It's problematic for all humanity. All poetry across the world is written about this. So I think the things that we want to talk about is how the biblical authors are approaching the topic, how they're describing it and kind of unrolling it, how they are not answering all the questions we have. They're kind of leaving it. They're looking at suffering often from the ground and not saying they're not climbing up into the heavens and saying, now let me explain to you why all this happens. They stay down on the ground and say, we're we're with you. Uh, There's comfort here and knowing that God is helping us through this. But at the end of the day, we don't get to explain all of this. So I think everything that we're going to say is going to be general. It's not like uh, you can apply everything we're saying directly to your personal situation, nor would we want you to. It's like, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not giving legal advice. I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not a suffering counselor. I'm not giving any trauma advice or anything here. But I think it's worth thinking about how the biblical authors are walking us through this topic. That makes sense. That's really helpful. So where would you like to start in today's topic? Um, so we had discussed the idea of dividing it up between kind of suffering as a consequence of something versus what people call natural evil, which is like Hurricane Katrina, where, you know, the, the forces of meteorology just worked against one particular city. Um, 
And I think it's important to make that distinction in our mind because um, whether we like it or not, people are going to take what we might consider natural evils. And we'll talk in a later episode about organizational evils where organizations can unwittingly create their own forms of evils and bads. Um where they don't really have an intention to them. Uh, and, and so we, and people will always step in at those moments like that pastor, every single time a pastor, someone, a televangelist, a local pastor will say, well, you know, it was because of what these people were doing. Or they'll try to point to some particular sin. And so I think the biblical authors want us to back out a little bit and say, oh, because the prophets are going to say, hey, this evil that's coming upon you, it's exactly because of your sin. Uh, and other times they, they just think that there are just, it's a broken world, right? Um, so we need to distinguish those two things carefully. Mm, that makes sense. So you mentioned suffering as a consequence for some sin or evil that a person has done or that a group of people have done. What does um, the suffering as consequence look like? Um, well, I mean, uh, the man and the woman in the garden, they, I, I don't know if people realize that they're suffering. What, what's being described there is actually an act of God withdrawal uh, and suffering. The, the, I mean, the dirt is cursed, which means they were supposed to, eating was not supposed to be an issue for them, right? They were supposed to have food and immediately they're exiled from the garden and it implies that they're basically, I don't know if starving is the right word, but it's going to be difficult. He's a, and Cain becomes a slave to the dirt, and he's trying to eke out calories of the dirt, which is a long-term problem in the ancient Fertile Crescent for people who live in Canaan. Um, but that's a direct, you know, it's, it, it is not an accident that the dirt doesn't work the way it's supposed to anymore. That's directly because of what the couple did. Uh, and so the biblical authors will link those things uh, throughout. When Neo-Assyrian Empire comes into Israel and destroys Samaria, the prophets are saying, this is because of your oppression of the weak. For, for hundreds of years, because you have exploited and oppressed, that's why this army. Don't think this is just some maniacal you know, dictator who's raised up an army. This is because of your sin. Same thing with Babylon and uh, uh, Judah uh, 150 years later. This is because of your sin. The question is, when we don't have a prophet... Like a prophet who we have authenticated, who we know is speaking the words that God has put in his or her mouth, um, do we have the rights to make those kind of assessments or not? Um, so I think watching how the prophets make those assessments should probably make us a bit humble in how we're making those assessments. That makes sense. Good word. <laughs> um, can you give an example of natural suffering that doesn't happen to punish someone? Um. So this, these are all perspective, right? And we'll talk about an example in Ruth where it's someone's perspective actually changes over time about interpreting uh, what they think is evil. But um, you can imagine that Job uh, would be a great example of somebody from his perspective, these are natural evils. And at some point, the natural evil, like people, people are dying around him, uh, his crops are going to waste, he's losing everything. Um, and at some point, it crosses over that threshold to like, Ah, and his friends come along and say, well, you've clearly done something wrong, which this is a very standard ancient Near Eastern trope. We talked about this uh, last time. Bad things are happened. You must have made God mad. And so they're trying to think about it as natural suffering. But for, from his perspective, for a long time, it would look just like a, a natural evil, like bad things happen to people. Uh, you could also talk about, uh, you know, Jesus references when the tower fell and it fell on those people. Do you think it was because of their sin? Mm -hmm. So even Jesus himself is saying, I mean, it's a rhetorical question when the, the implied answer is no, right? Um, so, yeah, because it's a broken world and because 
something happened uh, that fell and that happened to have killed those people. There's a word, a couple of words in Hebrew that can indicate this. And sometimes it gets translated uh, what I consider humorously. Um, so like uh, when um, Ahab gets killed, it says, you know, an archer drew a bow at random. It says word tom. Um, and you're like, <laughs> I, I remember seeing that translation for the first time and I was like, there is no Hebrew word for random. Like that's a very modern idea. Uh, but what they're getting at is this idea that it, it, it's, it literally means he drew it in his innocence. Uh, he wasn't trying to kill mm. uh, Ahab. He's just shooting an arrow over the horizon and it happened to land right into the king. Um, so you get a lot of that, not a lot, but you get that language uh, used throughout. Uh, and it's, I'll, I'll flag some more of it up as we go along where it's kind of like, hey, I, there was no intent behind this. And it seems to be what the biblical authors are doing is pointing out that sometimes God has an intent to bring suffering on people because of the consequences. And sometimes things just happen because it's a broken world. Mm. Um, and, and again, I think there's warnings throughout, like, don't be too quick to make those assessments, even showing you people who made the wrong assessment along the way and their assessment had to change. Mm-hmm. So in an example like Ahab where he was an evil king and there could be some, you know, connection to like, okay, maybe he was deserving of it to an extent. And in a situation like Job where he didn't deserve it, how could how could that kind of suffering happen to him without him deserving it? Like how does how does that add up within the spectrum of suffering as a consequence and suffering yeah. for not a consequence, just um, for suffering's sake. So these are these are only the biggest theological questions in the history of humanity. Um, I, I'm really reticent to say, hey, we can get behind the curtain on this one. I think of myself, I was a horrible kid as a teenager. I mistreated my, my mother badly. My mom, um, blessed be her memory, was not the greatest parent either. Um, and I'm sure she had her own sins that she did as well. Um, but I don't think my mistreatment of my mother, and I was a, I was a horrible child. Don't worry. We reconciled before she died. We were, we, we were besties when she died. So it was all great. It was fantastic. Uh, but when, when I was a teenager and when I was treating her horribly, it wasn't because of her sin, right? It just happened to be that I had my own issues and I was taking them out on my mom. So I think there's a way in which she could have looked at that and said, oh, this is because of you know, this, that, or the other. Or Joseph's brother. I love pointing this out when you read in, in Genesis. As soon as Joseph, who they don't know is Joseph, starts mistreating them, they instantly interpret it, this is because of what we did to Joseph, right? Like it's the first words out of their mouth, which you're like, oh, okay, so they do feel a little guilty about that. Um, so I... I think that the direct connection is so problematic. Um, and in some ways, in Genesis, it's really interesting. In some ways, it is true. It's because of how they treated Joseph that they're in the situation they're in right now. But it's also false. It's not ex- like there's not the direct relation they think that's going on. Um, so I feel like I'm going to end up saying, once again, wisdom and discernment <laughs> and restraint and humility. It and it's yeah. more complicated. And um, we should have some drum we beat uh, when we say these things. But. <laughs> Well, you may um, you may say the same thing to this other question I'm going to ask. That, um, but what do you, what would you say about um, natural disasters themselves as evil? Because mm. obviously, natural disasters can be used. I mean, we've seen it even in, in the prophets. Natural disasters can be used as a form of um, suffering as a consequence. 
um, but often they're not. So how can we, I know we've already talked a little bit about this, like how can we discern that? What are what are the tools that we can use to discern that? I know you mentioned that in the prophets, we look at how they make those decisions. Right. But then we also just kind of have humility and take a step back and say, hey, <laughs> maybe yeah. I'm not the person to make this call. So in one sense, uh, the biblical authors would say, you'd say like Hurricane Katrina, uh, the Christmas tsunami that killed like 150,000 people. Uh, they would say, yes, that's evil. Um, but they mean it in the, the broad sense that we've been talking about it here, where, you know, from unpleasant all the way to absolutely calamitous, right? Um, and so it's really, you have to ask more questions like, in what ways is it evil? Is it like God-directed evil? Is it human-directed evil? Is it organizational evil? Uh, and that one, I think they're just going to put in the realm of, um, yes, the planet is broken. I mean, the the... the the curses in Eden, and this will be very important for the next few episodes that we talk about, the curses in Eden aren't just uh, curses against the souls of the humans. The, the curses go against their bodies. It goes against the earth itself. It goes down into the dirt. Uh, it goes against their relationships uh, with each other and their relationship to God. So it's a very totalizing curse. And so we should expect to see that marital relationships. I don't know if anybody has any siblings who's listening to this, but sibling relationships, uh, work relationships, those are going to be broken and fractured. And, and there's going to be what we call natural evils in those relationships that emerge that aren't in, intentional, but they're just the product of sinful people getting together and harming each other when they don't even intend to. Um, and that goes down into the dirt and up into the meteorology as well. Sometimes the winds and the seas and the temperatures are going to join together in such a way that it creates destruction. Um, and I, I grew up in Oklahoma, so uh, I don't know about hurricanes, but I know a lot about tornadoes. And, uh, you know, hundreds of tornadoes a year in Oklahoma, uh, some years at least, there were hundreds of uh, tornadoes a year. And that lots of people die. Um, and they're very and tornadoes are different too because they're very specific. You know, think about a hurricane covers hundreds and thousands of square miles and a tornado it's like one house is completely spared, the next house is completely destroyed. Um, so it's really hard. People often read it as God spared me and almost an implication of uh, well, why didn't he spare them? Uh, it's it's so difficult um, to suss all of this out. I'm so thankful that we have prophets in the Bible who are telling us this was from God. But what the implication of that is, in all that other stuff, maybe not. Maybe this is just the natural. This is just the the world cavorting with itself in its broken estate. These are the kinds of things that happen: towers fall, people die, mistakes were made. Right? Mm. That that kind of thinking. Yeah. So I have a kind of a personal anecdote here. Um, I actually, I have scoliosis and have had, was diagnosed uh, back in 2007. And I have um, been told different things about how to interpret having scoliosis and the mm. impacts that's had on my life. Um, one way is that, you know, maybe it's because of some sin. That's usually not as much what I hear. The other way is kind of the sin of faithlessness. Mm. So basically, God would have healed you of this if you had more faith or pray more, fast more. Um, that will be like the the way to fix this thing. So I'm curious for for a specific, and I again, I don't want to compare my situation to other people's. I know a lot of people deal with really, really difficult 
um, situations and, and different levels of suffering. So not in a sense to compare by any means, but this has brought its own challenges for me. So what would be the way to kind of interpret specific personal, if I can, I feel like suffering is maybe too strong a word for me to use personally, but that, how do we like, how do we interpret our own personal challenges in that way Mm -hmm. of understanding, okay, what's sin, what's not sin, what is like the sin of faithlessness and what is just, okay, this thing is just here and I got to face it, I got to deal with it. How do I, like, what do we do with that? Um, you know, it's always mixed. It's a, I, I think of people with like mental health issues, like serious, you know, schizophrenia or bipolar and the families that have to, you know, help them along the way. And every family, you know, at first when you get this diagnosis, you're like, oh, that's why they're running naked through the street, breaking car windows and, um, you know, trying to yell at the president. Um, but then after that episode, after episode, as they get some kind of clinical help, you also realize that right alongside that mental illness is the person's own sinfulness. And so you kind of have to deal with this pastorally of we still need to deal with the sinful person. We still need to, to help them along the way and help them understand their sin. So that one I think is even more, you know, physical pain is one of these where you're like, oh, did I, did I do something? Should I be doing something differently than what I'm doing? Um, I think all of this discussion we're having up to this point is all getting at the directedness of God's actions against us. And so I would like to give a pitch (laughs) that basically, this is going back to the problem of good, God is for us. They have this pretentious Latin phrase, uh, Deus pro nobis, God for us. That that is his disposition. He's for us. He's for all the families of the earth. He's doing everything to bring goodness and justice and righteousness in, despite the fact that it's a broken world with broken people and the dirt itself is broken and the skies are broken. and I think you get in indications of that because the biblical authors are saying the same. So when Abraham, you know, think of Sodom and Gomorrah, knowing now what we what we know now about Sodom and Gomorrah, we're like, oh, that place, if any place deserve a natural disaster, things to fall from the sky and crush it, that seems like a good candidate if you if you were into that, right? Um, but even then, Abraham says, you know, if there are at least 50, if there are at least 40, if there are at least 30, if there are at least uh, 20, 10 righteous people... Would you spare it, right? And God says, yes, I actually would. Um, So that's his disposition, right? Uh, The irony is there weren't even 10, right? So he brings out Lot. Um, And the same thing with Abimelech when he, when Abraham prostitutes his wife for the second time to King Abimelech and God comes to Abimelech in a vision and says, you're a dead man because this man's a prophet and you've, you've, uh, and he, you're going to touch his wife. He hadn't touched his wife at that point. And the man says, again, that word, in the innocence tome, that same word of the archer drawing at, at, at random, in the innocence of my heart, I haven't. You know that I haven't done anything. Would you? Would you harm somebody? And God says, No, I won't, because you haven't done anything. But but it's also because I stopped you from doing this, right? He reminds him. So there's this sense of like God is directing evils, if we can put it that way, bad stuff uh, uh, at people for certain reasons. Those are focused, specific, and few in Scripture. Um, and what we also find out in these little background scenes that happen is, uh, he's not aiming anything at innocent folks. Uh, he, he's, he understands who is deserving, who's not, and who he's going to allow. And there's a little bit of mystery cloud around it. So Deuteronomy 29, 29, uh, the hidden things belong to Yahweh, but the revealed things belong to us and to our children to do them and keep them. 
Uh, so there's always this kind of like, don't think you're getting behind the curtain. But when I show you peaks behind the curtain, you see this is a, a wise, loving, just God who is for us. He's even for King Abimelech, who's not even a Hebrew, and he doesn't even acknowledge God, Yahweh as God. Mm. Wow. That's my plug. Okay. <laughs> Yay, God. Yay, God. <laughs> um, so I know you mentioned the story of Ruth, mm. Naomi and Ruth. Can you talk a little bit about that as it relates to this topic? Yeah, I think this is kind of look, looking through Naomi's lens. I know the book is called Ruth uh, in the Hebrew tradition. But um, thinking about Naomi as a character, she comes back from uh, from Moab. So she's forced to go over to Moab because of a famine. So a, a, natural, a natural evil, if you want to put it this way. The, the earth is not producing food. She's from Bethlehem. Uh, and she goes over to Moab across the Dead Sea, just on the, the, the plains over in Jordan. Um, and then when she here, oh, sorry, the key point, her husband dies, then her son dies, and then her other son dies, right? Um, then she hears that there is now food again at Beth and, back in Bethlehem, so she comes back to Bethlehem. And Ruth, uh, as we all know, attaches herself to Naomi. Her other daughter-in-law is like, okay, I'm going to go back to my people now. Ruth attaches herself, your God is my God, your people will be my people, and they come back together. When she comes back to Bethlehem, I mean, just think about this, this is the, if you were in a small town, if you grew up in a small town, or imagine growing up in a small town, and you know, oh, Ruth and her husband, they went off and you know lived amongst the weirdos over in Moab, right? Um, and now she's back, and so they're going to greet her, and they're saying, oh, um, Naomi, and she's like, no, 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 don't call me Naomi, call me Bitter, right, uh, Mara. And uh, <clears throat> because, and I quote, uh, this is chapter 1, verse 21, the Almighty has brought, or to me, Almighty has brought evil. Um, it's, it's a very short phrase in Hebrew, so you can interpret a couple of different ways. But what is unclear, or sorry, what's clear in it is she is saying the Almighty, who is Yahweh, has done evil to her. Now, the question is, well, what is she referring to? Is she referring to the fact that the famine came and she had to, she was forced to migrate over to Moab? Is she referring to the deaths of the the men in her household? Is she referring to the fact that she had to come back over to find food? Uh, and we find out very quickly it's it's the sons. It's the two sons and her husband have died. One of them dying would have been a natural event. Um, two, three. That's where she's like, all right, God is targeting me. And she, and again, notice how openly, without qualm, she says. God did evil to me, right? Uh, and nobody's like, oh, shh, don't, don't say God does evil. You know, they're not trying to shut her down. They're like, oh, okay. Yes, it is a hard situation. That's, I, if, without sounding like a, you know, a relativist, that's her interpretation. Uh, by the time we get to the end of the story, we realize there was a larger plan in place, the plan to ultimately bring about King David uh, through her, and the loss of these uh, children and her husband, while bad, are going to be redeemed in ways that she could have never imagined. And she will look back, kind of like Joseph, where his, you know, his brothers are like, oh, we, we, you know, we tried to kill you off and then sell you into slavery. And he's like, he doesn't say, hey, no, 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 it's okay. It wasn't, it wasn't that big a deal. He affirms, yeah, yeah, you, you did evil, right? But what you planned for evil, God actually meant uh, for good in order to save many who are alive. And accidentally, from my perspective, including you. Um, so he doesn't deny the fact that what they did was wrong, bad, um, but he affirms that it was part of a bigger plan. His, his interpretation of what's going on shifts over time as he sees what's going on, right? And the same thing happens with Naomi. At least the women at the end, um, 
they say here, I'll just read a bit of uh, Ruth 4 here. Uh, then the women said to Naomi, blessed be Yahweh who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him upon her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Ovid. Uh, he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So we see by the time we get to that end of the story, Naomi's view of all these events, it's not that she's not sad by the, the bads, the evils that came upon her. And she might still say, maybe Yahweh had something to do with it. I mean, I mean she, you know, like Hannah, she might say, Yahweh kills, he brings to life, he raises up, he takes down. But she realizes now it's part of a bigger plan. And I think when people are deeply suffering, I think most people will put up with any, like triathletes, right? They deeply suffer. Uh, but they put up with it because it's part of some bigger plan. I think suffering is the most problematic to us when it seems to have no purpose whatsoever. That's where we struggle, right? All other suffering, we locate within a purpose and we're like, okay, yeah, we can do it. I mean, people put up with lots of crazy stuff, right? Even if you think about the concentration camps where you're just like, what, what, what is the point? Like, really? You think Jews are the problem? You think everything's going to be great with white people, Aryan people in charge? So there's just, there's no way, <clears throat> excuse me, for us to reconcile what the purpose of all this is. And I think that's with natural disasters as well, which is like, in some ways, having a pastor go on the TV and say, this is because New Orleans, you know, because of the prostitution, the drinking, the licentiousness. It feels good because it places a purpose on something that doesn't seem to have a purpose. Um, so, again, I, I would ask for restraint and saying, unless we actually, well, I don't even know. I don't, I don't even, I don't know who would have the credibility to make those kind of claims today, honestly. Yeah. Hmm. That's really interesting. So, in other words, let's just, <laughs> let's pause on our, <laughs> on our uh, assumptions and um, guesses as far as, the meaning behind certain suffering and just kind of leave it, leave, leave certain kinds of suffering meaningless, even though it makes it more difficult. It's almost like the more respectful thing to do about the situation. Yes. And I'll refer back to that movie tree of life. Cause I love it so much knowing that many people hate that movie because uh, it's not a traditional movie, but they do show really well. The, the woman's son dies and these, you know, the church going folks that just walk up to her and say, it was all for God's purpose. Don't, you know, don't worry. And how, and he's really trying to show in the movie, how meaningless and hopeless and helpless that is. So I, I think the other thing with suffering that's difficult for us is it's really hard. I mean, think about what should we be doing in those times? Uh, well, we could turn to the Psalms and we could, you know, if we look at the Psalms, we lament with people, right? So you, you would hope that people would say like, hey, maybe God has a plan for this. I'm sure he does, but we don't know. So what does it matter? In some ways, we can still trust God. <clears throat> we can still trust God, but... Uh, let me just sit with you, right? Like, I, I know your husband just died. Don't worry. It's all in God's hands. It's cool. And then walk out the door or stay there and sit quietly with the person and, like, get them food, help them take care of their house or whatever. I mean, it's pretty obvious that our attempts to reconcile the purpose and the intention of God and, and bringing suffering or allowing suffering, uh, it's trying to shortcut around the thing that we probably need to be doing, which is mm -hmm. sitting with people. I mean, again, Jesus says to people, like, what are we supposed to do with people who are sick and in prison? People, and if you know anything about the prisons or sickness back then, people who are suffering greatly. 
you go visit them. You go be with them, right? Um, and so I, I think I want to give a plug also for that in-person, tangible ministry to the suffering that you're really, as soon as you have a theological answer, you're trying to cut short. So mm, That's interesting. You know, I, it's something that I actually don't hear as much of. There's a lot about, you know, being hopeful. There's a lot of emphasis on um, making the best of what you have. But I think it's interesting that we're actually given a lot of scripture about lamenting and and just kind of almost as David, I think, it, is it Psalm 88 where it's like the, the darkest Psalm in the Bible where it darkness ends. Darkness is my only friend. Yeah. <laughs> it ends quite literally in darkness and just kind of sits there. And it's interesting that scripture is very comfortable with that. I yep. think way more than we are. <laughs> and my guess is going back to our discussion last episode is I think because the people who are writing those Psalms have genuinely seen like the depths of suffering, community-wide suffering, not just me personally, but like no hope, everything's horrible. Uh, yeah, and so many of those lament psalms, uh, many of them turn up at the end and say, but we put our trust in you, O Yahweh. But some of them just end with, why God, why? Darkness, right? Um, and I, I found that, you know, with friends that have uh, deep depression, bouts of uh, deep depression, um, I didn't think it was a big deal. I'm, I'm patting myself on the back here now, but it was a total accident. I, I didn't realize this, uh, but, you know, one of them said to me, you know, Drew, I really appreciate the fact that you don't, like, try to tell me it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And you just, like, hang out and just are like, yeah, this really sucks. Uh, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I didn't do that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently that's all they hear, you know, mm-hmm. when, when they admit to people, well, I'm actually in a, in a dark spot, right, you know, for this last week or two. Um, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's me too. I just want people to, like, just sit there and yeah. be with me. So. Mm-hmm. It's powerful. It's interesting how how uh, just not saying anything can actually be the most powerful thing. Presence, what you said. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, so I don't think in in the New Testament you get James, right? The person who just says like, "Oh, be warm and well," right? They're, we're trying to scoot it off in our heads or in in practical sense, and it's that closeness, right? He says it's false. Well, we retranslate it religion. It's it's false religiosity um, to uh, to proclaim these things about Jesus, but not actually be there physically with those people. So yeah. So we've already been talking about, kind of gotten into a little bit of what we do with this personally, how we take this understanding of suffering and actually kind of give it legs in our own lives. Um, as we kind of wind down this episode. Do you have any uh, tips, advice, thoughts that you'd like to share with people as it relates to um, evaluating evil, evaluating suffering, addressing it um, in their own lives and the people in their own lives? Yeah. Is there any other thoughts you'd like to share? Um, I think for myself, I've realized that, um, like I said last season, uh, I think I said it many times, is I'm convinced that the wisdom of the community is always greater than the wisdom in the individual within the Christian community. So when I hit periods of suffering or things that are inexplicable uh, to me, I go to people who are older and wiser and been around and said, what do you think about this? And often I'm, you know, I'm shocked like, oh, you walk away going, oh, yeah, I never thought about it that way. Or sometimes it's just like, it's so relieving to know that this my friend who's uh, 15 years older than me went through this exact same thing. I don't know why that's relieving, but so many things when I'm just here, oh, you went through this as well? Oh, that's fine. I think most 
I think it's true that most women that go into their first childbirth freak out a little bit. They have this existential moment where they're like, I can't do this. I don't know. This is weird, you know? And, and the only comforting thought at that moment is billions of women have done this, <laughs> you know? Um, and yeah, so I think there's, there's ways in which seeking wisdom, and wisdom might just be, I've been through it. Uh, I'm here for you. I've been through it. Let me let me hang with you. Um, it also uh, means that we need to kind of, you know, we opened up with this pastor decrying New Orleans and saying this is God judging New Orleans, which in, any natural disaster that happens, some pastor somewhere is going to decry this is God judging their sin. Uh, so I think there's an honest way in which we need to be good at, at uh, discerning skilled manipulators. Um, I mean, there's a, you know, this, I say it's a scandal. It's not really a scandal in the church. It's always been going on. It's just now come to the surface of, uh, of sex abuse and, and different church denominations, but it's going on everywhere. Uh, in Hollywood, right? Like who would have thought these people in positions of power were abusing it in order to have sexual liaisons with people? And that's sarcasm, all, correct? Yeah. That, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. We're, we're going to call out my sarcasm, right? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the biblical authors would be like, well, duh. Yeah, you put somebody in, you put a man in a position of power, he's probably going to abuse that for sex at some point, um, unless they have a very self-disciplined, restraint, humble community that holds them to account, according to the Torah, I would say. Um, there's a lot of manipulation that goes on in that. So people have to learn early and often like how how others manipulate power, how they coerce. It happens in codependent relationships and um, kind of have to be savvy, relationally savvy, I think, and help and uh, often with suffering as well because it is at our moment. I mean, this is what scripture teaches over and over again. It's at our moments of vulnerability where people will step in and exploit that vulnerability to some other end that they have. And so... So when people are suffering, they're actually fragile and vulnerable in multiple ways other than just the physical or emotional suffering that they have at that point. So uh, identifying manipulation, protecting people from manipulation at that moment is is key as well in the church. Mm, that makes sense. Well, that actually leads us really well into our next topic for episode number eight, and that is what is organizational evil? So we've already been talking a little bit at the end here about what it looks like Um people who are in positions of power, uh, groups of people in certain positions of power, what it can look like um, to actually, to like see that oppression play out and then have, like, what do we do about it? How do we, how do we recognize it? And then how do we address it um, in alignment with scripture? So it's going to be a really good episode. Hope you guys join us again. Thanks for listening to season two of Discover Your Roots, The Problem of Good and Evil. To find more resources like this, subscribe to our newsletter at passagesisrael.org forward slash foundations. Again, that's passagesisrael.org forward slash foundations. You can also follow us on social media and learn more about Israel and the Bible at Passages Israel. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Until next time, I'm Matana DeWitt. Thanks for listening.